Hey there, fellow foodies. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, your host for Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. We have so many awesome episodes coming your way in season four of the show. So if you also have a cool topic or idea you'd like to pitch to me, let me know. You can share your, your idea, ideas with me via comments on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram accounts. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Now, onward to today's episode. As you may gather from our past episodes, I'm not only fascinated with the incredible pharmacological potential of medicinal plants, but I'm also eager to learn more about how this translates into the practice of integrative medicine. We have a wonderful guest today to discuss this topic, Dr. Stephen Dahmer. Dr. Dahmer is a board-certified family physician whose passion for healing has taken him around the globe. He's a fellow of the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, and for over two decades, he's studied the relationships between plants and people, working closely with diverse cultures and documenting their uses of plants and, un and other integrative therapies. Since 2015, Dr. Dahmer has served as the Chief Medical Officer of Goodness Growth Holdings, Vario Health, a physician-founded, patient-focused company dedicated to providing best-in-class cannabis-based medicinal products. He's also co-chair of the USCC Medical and Research Subcommittee and is actively engaged in clinical trials that are specific to the study of cannabis and entheogens and has written and lectured extensively about plant-based medicines. As director of the Holistic Primary Care, Dr. Dahmer actively practices integrative family medicine in Scarsdale, New York, and he remains active in academic medicine as an assistant clinical professor of family medicine and community health at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Stephen. It's great to see you again. It's great to see you and, and such a pleasure to be here. And every time I hear my bio, I think I should have truncated more or, you know, <laughs> cut out, uh, but appreciate that, that generous intro and, and just happy to be here to have a conversation. Well, it's, it's great to be able to have a conversation with someone th with your unique background. I mean, you're a great example of someone who had early research experience in ethnobotany and um, did global field research and then made your way into the practice of medicine and really brought forward a lot of those skills from the field of ethnobotany into your medical practice. So maybe let's start there. Can you share with us kind of how did you get to that point of really bringing together, you know, this intersection of plants and medicine? Yeah, a great question. I was thinking, you know, in preparation for this conversation uh, about even our relationship and how I, I hunted you down a little, Cassie, <laughs> for the same reasons, is that ability to kind of thread this needle between, you know, what we call Western medicine or modern medicine and, you know, and, and what many call traditional medicine or, or even plant medicine, which is such a hard needle to thread. And mm -hmm. I saw the work you're doing and just want to say, what a fan I am. And, uh, and I, again, I think there's, a, I hear a lot of stories like this and even mentors of mine uh, that have similar stories. And I think this just starts at su such a young age and, and we're well aware of that. I grew up, uh, you know, my father's a Hungarian immigrant, had a garden in the backyard every year. I grew up mm -hmm. planting Hungarian hot peppers and, and playing in the garden and, and playing in, I grew up in Wisconsin in a small river, uh, fishing and, and nonstop outdoors that just had this connection to nature, mm -hmm. to plants from such a very young age that I think, you know, I took a non-traditional route to medical school that I was uh, kind of unconditionally accepted 
in high school to go to med school because none, none of my family are doctors. And so I'm not the traditional physician, obviously that's out there. But then it was those, you know, the travel that really opened my eyes that, you know, we don't have a monopoly on truth here. And there mm -hmm. are many ways, you know, to, to ascend that wooded mountain and some of them far more powerful, kind of depending on the lens that you're looking from, the lens of resource utilization, impact on the environment, or even long-term health. Um, and and, and uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. And you have such amazing experiences as well that I think that's what shapes us and, and drives the passion to thread that needle, which is a challenge. Yeah. Well, and I think we also share in common some common mentors. Um, some early work with Dr. Balick at, at New York Botanical Gardens. And what what were some of the trips that you took with him and kind of what were you what were you looking at? Uh, you know, Dr. Balick was really my main introduction to ethnobotany, and, and we uh, did a lot of work, and he just has been such a, a generous and amazing mentor for me. I told you we just got, we usually do Wednesday night walks, and, and we do loops mm -hmm. that just don't stop as I can hear, you know, his stories all night long. And just, uh, Palau was really the main uh, location where we did uh, the majority of our work together, uh, ended up in, in really in publishing a book that so generously put me as, as first author. I did not deserve that. This such a, and as you're well aware, a team effort of bridging that gap again, traditional knowledge that's willing to be shared, right? And, mm -hmm. and even uh, modern Western medicine, how do we get these two, what have for so long been polar opposites to engage and talk and see we're all on the same page here. We want people to be healthy and happy and we can work together to get to that point. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, based on those experiences of learning about plants in Palau and learning, also, maybe we should stop for a second and just tell the audience, where is Palau before I move on? Yeah, I mean, Palau, I also worked in, in New Zealand, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Philippines as well. And I would say kind of between New Zealand, and the Philippines, go east in the Pacific and, and you'll, you'll bump into Palau. So kind of in the middle of the Pacific, beautiful, uh, you know, rock oh. islands, just such a beautiful place. You, 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 you swim with jellyfish that don't sting you. Uh, you know, you eat, uh, you know, fresh tuna on, on, on a beach on, on a rock island. I hard to think of, I, I, it was a hard time thinking of that as work. It was such a pleasure to be there and met such incredible people. Uh, uh, Dr. Christopher Keatalong uh, among them that again, just such great connections and amazing work, incredible people, but in the middle of the Pacific, long answer. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. I mean, it sounds like paradise there. <laughs> so on, on these kind of, you know, trips, working with local communities and working with healers, what were some of the major nuggets of wisdom that you took away from those experiences and perhaps even now still think about in your own practice of medicine? Oh yeah, there there are so many gems. There are so many gems, as you're well aware. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like a, a few like real key ones that I walked away with. Uh, number one is just you know the affordability and accessibility mm -hmm. of plant medicine, and, and it just you know and and, and Dr. Billick will tell amazing stories too on on remote islands where uh, you know guava leaf was the only thing available when there was kind of an epidemic of diarrhea and and countless stories where you're utilizing what's in that backyard and and there isn't a Dwayne Reed or a Walgreens on the corner. Not to mention you know really the the challenge of the cost of of modern medicine and so affordability and accessibility is is certainly one that really amazed me. Number two is, is really the relationship that you form with a plant. You know, here in, in, the, in, the, in my practice as a physician, I, I'll give you lisinopril for your high blood pressure. I have yet to find a patient that has a relationship with lisinopril. Yet in yeah. Palau, 
there's an amazing plant, Dalalakar, uh, Long Island, that is the mother of all medicines. That is, you know, you almost think of this beautiful woman that is this plant that you take in a tea on a daily basis, contributing to your health. And so that relationship, as opposed to, um, you know, I'm going to get something out of taking my medicine. And then I think, you know, maybe one other huge uh, lesson that just really was, was very uh, impactful for me as a physician is with traditional healers, you don't go to a traditional healer and, and the traditional healer says, here's a plant and it's going to cure everything, right? It is such an amazing process and buy-in where many times that we've documented, you're going to go on a special diet. You're going to maybe abstain from sex. You're going to, you know, exercise and be active. You're going to avoid alcohol. You know, this idea of what really is in many ways integrative medicine, that you don't come with a one pill is going to fix it, a silver bullet. There is a lifestyle modification that has to happen, which I think is a huge aspect of what is lacking uh, in, in, in Western medicine today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one area of, of Western medicine that I've become more and more interested in is that of chronic pain management. As someone that lives with pain, I mean, it's it's something that's really difficult to get a handle on. And we've seen how this the magic bullet approach of just using opiates, you know, does not <laughs> does not work in the long run because of the problems with addiction. And this is what I think really draws me to your work is you've done a lot as a as a physician. Um, involved in clinical trials on using plants like cannabis to help reduce opioid addiction and, and reliance. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's just really groundbreaking. Yeah, I think it's a big leap for a, a clinic, clinician to move into research. Many, you know, will walk mm -hmm. in those parallel paths. But, you know, for me, I really consider myself a pure clinician. I just loved working with the person in front of me, certainly utilizing population health data to inform practices, right? But mm -hmm. uh, research was not on the agenda. But after 20 years in integrative medicine, and you just really see this divide that it, even within the physician community, here's an FDA-approved pharmaceutical and then here is a supplement, right? And there's such a huge divide. Whereas, you know, as I saw in daily practice, oftentimes there wasn't that huge divide in practice when utilized correctly. And, and along those lines too, I think in, in both camps, but even more in integrative medicine, there is a lot of hype, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Super excited yeah. about turmeric or, and then vitamin D and, you know, and, and noni, and not that any of those are bad, but we have these phases of, <laughs> almost driven by consumerism of hype. And how can we thread that needle and utilize some of those tools at our disposal in Western medicine to separate wheat from chaff, but mm -hmm. also knowing that these are complex organisms ourselves and complex organisms, the plants oftentimes, that it might not just be a randomized control trial. Um, and that's where I wanted to, especially with cannabis, that is such a complex plant, let's at least arm ourselves with the data that a Western medicine approach can uh, can afford. And that's what led to uh, my uh, participation, which is really spearheaded by Montefiore. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Chinasso Cunningham, Dr. Julia Arnston, uh, Deepika Slawek, these, they really are heading up the research and, and I'm a participant on the industry side to try to support. That's amazing. Yeah, I think I think this, this, this touches on, you know, one of the big, kind of elephants in the room when it comes to plant-based medicines is we just, we don't know what we don't know. And although there's huge consumerism driving consumption of many of these botanicals, they're not necessarily being taken in the ways that they're used in traditional medicine. Yeah. 
And we don't really have a handle for most of them, you know, around their chemical makeup and their, you know, all their pharmacological properties. So I guess coming back to that, like, how do you as a, as a, a doctor of integrative medicine bring in some of these botanicals into your patient care? Yeah, Cassie, I think that's a fantastic question. And, and it's a real challenge because if I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prescribe a pharmaceutical, there is extensive data, there is a, a you know, well-documented FDA path uh, for that, that NDA, for that, that pharmaceutical to come to my prescription pad and, and come to the pharmacy and be able to prescribe that. The, there is extra legwork that it has to be done. The minute that you kind of enter the uh, supplement realm, and we talk about this in cannabis all the time, for seven years, the argument has been there is no research in cannabis, right? The research is not there. We don't have the research. That's not true. You have to dig for the research that across the world, I, I'd say this is the best studied plant in the world. And, and you might argue mm -hmm. with that. Dr. Vela probably would argue with that. But <laughs> I, it really is remarkable the amount of research. But just like many aspects of integrative medicine, you have to dig for that. And the other thing, too, is, is kind of meeting a patient where they're at. And being yeah. integrative and having that label now, I will attract many patients that aren't excited about a pharmaceutical approach and want to look to other mechanisms. And, and, and to be able to speak that language and, and even talk to evidence related to those products that they're interested in trying, that creates a relationship that then the healing can begin, right? And, and that medication or that supplement or that plant is one part of that. Um, but you have to search for the evidence to support it enough that as a evidence-based medicine, right, a Western-trained uh, physician, yeah. I'm comfortable and confident enough that you know that I would recommend it for a patient of mine. Monitor them closely and, and do the same thing we would with any other pharmaceutical drug herb interactions. Is there a reason maybe they shouldn't be mm -hmm. taking it? What are the things that we should be looking out for that they uh, create a, a healthy relationship with the botanical or supplement? That's great. Well, and I want to I want to step back a moment because I realized I skipped over a, a really important point in the transition of your career, and that's from this transition from field to physician. And I, as you know, I mentor many students both in the classroom and in my laboratory. And many of these students, you know, are fascinated with medicinal plants, but not all of them want to become a PhD scientist. Many of them go on to medical school, and I'm frequently asked, "Well, how do I?" How do I pursue a path that meets this passion, my passion for plants and my passion for medicine? And you've actually done that. And so I was wondering if you could provide any insights to the students that um, are looking to pursue perhaps a career that's more integrative um, in the practice of medicine. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to, you know, really knowing deep down what makes you move. Uh, and, and I knew mm -hmm. from a very early, you know, and like I mentioned before, I was gently pushed into the, the role of physician right down that path. It wasn't something I had on my radar. Um, but one thing that I knew from a very early point is, you know, I love people. <laughs> just love, I love yeah. conversations. I love interacting with people. And, and you know, being a physician is like the most intimate conversation you're going to have with a stranger, right? Mm -hmm. right? Tell me about your poop, like the minute I meet yeah. you, you know, it, it just is really <laughs> unbelievable. And I, I, there's a sense of thriving there for me. But, you know, after years and years of doing that, you realize, again, many people give that analogy we talk about in integrative medicine that, you know, there's not the greatest analogy, these, these kind of dead bodies are in, coming in the river and you're trying to grab them or people drowning and you try to grab them out, but who's walking upstream to see why they're jumping in, 
right? And then mm -hmm. that's what kind of mm -hmm. led me to the bigger picture of, are there other things that we can do to make these messages within integrative medicine a little bit more mainstream, uh, more available to those outside, you know, that, that single visit or these small communities that were knowledgeable of that. And, and that really drove me uh, to start to meld these together more. And, and I think in terms of your question, what helped me the most was communities and mentorship. So to come back to Dr. Wiles' program, I was one of the first, you know, combined family medicine and integrated, uh, integrative medicine fellows that there's a community of people that are like-minded. <laughs> Otherwise, you said, am I a little crazy, you know, and we all are, right, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. But there are people, you know, that you can interact with that, you know, academic qualifications and, and fill in the blank respected uh, medical professionals that say, yeah, no, you're not. Let's continue to develop this evidence base. Let's work towards affording this to more people. And what an amazing community is. What an incredible, uh, what incredible work Dr. Wall has done for integrative medicine. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, he's really led, um, you know, it paved the way in so many in so many ways for for training the next generation of integrative medical practitioners. You know, um, I guess one one thing I'm I one thing one barrier that I often encounter as a scientist on personal plants is that oftentimes people don't recognize plants as being valuable sources of medicine. They'll say, oh, no, it's it's like I don't I, I only use pharmaceuticals. I don't deal with that hippie stuff. <laughs> Or, you know, this is not real medicine. That's all placebo. It's all old wives' tales. And then I have to remind them, well, actually, some of our most important medicines for heart disease, for cancer, for pain, for infection, for malaria, came originally from plants. And so I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on that and tell us a little bit about why you think plants make good medicines. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And it is something, you know, I still struggle with because I've had so much training on the kind of reductionist single constituent pharmaceutical mm -hmm. model. That means that let's have these amazing plants. And, and again, coming back to your point that really probably the best source of the medications I prescribe, right, as a whole are plants, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 we're, and we're ruining those chances at a very rapid rate, which I think would be probably a topic of a different discussion. But for me, it's, it's we, we've always had this model of kind of single receptor that we pull one thing out of. And mm -hmm. cannabis, you know, years ago in 1985, we pulled out the THC and then we synthesized it and then we have a drug, right, which never did well. And that was one of the revelations in cannabis for me, why, you know, here we are 35 years later, that there's this huge movement towards the plant medicine, whereas I could have written a prescription for Dramatol for years for you. Maybe even your insurance covers it. Now, there are millions, literally up to 5 million Americans utilizing in state legal programs a, a cannabis plant. Why is that, right? And then mm -hmm. you start to delve into these theories of entourage, right? This idea potentially of different impact on receptor systems. And then the idea for me that, you know, that what we call these dirty plants, and all of them have examples of this, we're doing some additional work uh, in another vein on valerian, right, that these are going to work synergistically with a softer impact on our physiology than supersizing that single constituent. Yeah, and I see just I see loads of examples of that. And I think that's something that we don't get yet. And, and I think it's uh, uh, two medicines that have gone down the botanical drug path. And so it's this, again, I think, uh, you know, a complex pharmacologic approach that exists in the plant that we haven't harnessed in medicine. 
And I also think just to add to that, and I want to hear your thoughts as well, Cassie, mm -hmm. but I think that sometimes our lens is too small. We do the majority of our trials and, you know, who gets better in sometimes, you know, four weeks, uh, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit longer. I get real excited about how is this? And you think about plant medicines, it's my entire life yeah. that I'm kind of consuming these. How does that impact me 20 years from now? And, and we that's tough to study. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I 100% I agree with you around the topics of synergy and this idea of entourage. I mean, the way I like to think of it is, you know, nature does not work under reductionist paradigms. It, you know, from the perspective of the plants, they're not producing a single compound to yield their desired effect or achieve a certain phenotype. They have entire suites of compounds. And in fact, if you talk to different natural products chemists and ask them, you know, you put someone that studies marine organisms, someone that sto studies soil microbes and someone that studies, um, you know, uh, macro fungi, you put all those people in a room and hands down the person that studies plant secondary metabolites, the compounds that plants produce for their defense and survival are the most complex in terms of numbers of unique molecules produced in a single. I mean, we're talking hundreds of different structures, if not thousands, in a single leaf. And, you know, plants don't go through that energetic process or that consumption of energy to make those compounds um, without reason. I mean, and I think, you know, you can, you can, I'm sure speak more intelligently on, on this than I can, but, you know, we do have um, examples of combination therapies that have worked better in the treatment of different diseases. I'm thinking especially of HIV AIDS, of drug cocktails. We have cocktails for, for cancer, um, and so I think we've seen on one hand in Western medicine that cocktail approaches can work, but somehow there's this big chasm in our ability to recognize the importance of the natural cocktails that are found in plants and our ability to use those. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and that's just so true. Or even the example, right, of ayahuasca mm -hmm. and, and really two plants coming together that, you know, is an incredible combination. And in, med in medicine, we talk quite a bit about adjuvants. And we're really yeah. getting to the point too where polypharmacy, right? That your your mm -hmm. your average elder is on six plus medications, um, yeah. and, wow. and it, it, it and we find with cannabis this potential, right, for producing uh, for reducing polypharmacy. Obviously, we don't want to do harm, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Is this just natural, amazing, co-evolved, right, synergy that we've ingested this, you know, for such a long time that works well with our physiology? One other thing that comes to mind for me is, you know. I'm really starting to see melding this, the kind of food and pharmaceutical, right? And medicine yeah. and food coming together that we finally, you know, and, and our nutritional, uh, you'd be amazed at how much nutrition training we have in med school near zero. Mm -hmm. But in nutrition, we're finally recognizing that a calorie like from a gummy worm is not equal to a calorie from a broccoli. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and, yeah. And tech full of antioxidants, right? There are so many health benefits. And yet in medicine, we still think, right, a, a synthetic molecule from the plant is no different, right, from, mm -hmm. a, from a naturally derived. And, and that's very debatable, right? But my hunch, right, tells me that, again, that coevolution and even apart from the receptor, right, active metabolites impact on microbiome, right? How do you quantify those things in, a, in, your, in your 14 week RCT? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult. You know, one thing I like to tell people is to think about vanilla when they're trying to understand plant chemistry, because I think everyone has tried something that's like made with artificial vanilla, which has vanilla and like it, basically the idea of getting supersizing one compound from the plant 
And then if you have like actual vanilla orchid pod extracted vanilla, where you take the, the long kind of skinny black pod and you stick it into a bottle of vodka, or you buy it at the store where it's natural vanilla, and you do a taste comparison of both of those. Remember, we have all kinds of chemical receptors in our nose and mouth. When you taste those, there's a very clear difference. Like, and I feel like, you know, it's kind of an analogy for where we've gone in a lot of a lot of new medicines is that we're we're focused on that super size, like you said, that that vanilla, but we're missing the beauty and complexity and the rich diversity of chemistries that we see in that, you know, natural vanilla extract. Co um, coffee and caffeine, right? Yeah, Same yeah. Too, right? It's just mm -hmm. is, there, there's something deeper at play there. And I, I think we need to develop better mechanisms to to study that. Um, yeah. to actually show that while these are on a level playing field, including, you know, the delineation of, of how long of a time period are we looking at? Because I'll say that too, if I, if I you know, uh, break my femur, you know, yes, please give me some IV morphine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and again, th that's what modern medicine has excelled at and is that really kind of fast, very yeah. fast acting, very efficacious compound, single constituent to help, you know, with those kind of emergency settings where we really have not excelled at, right, is, is kind of chronic disease and chronic issue, chronic mm -hmm. pain, uh, to your example, that we have not found good ways to address that, that work in synergy, even with an integrative model, right? So a multimodal, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, avenue to get to pain relief. Yeah, I mean, and our show, Foodie Pharmacology is all about food, but really, it's, it's about more than that. And, and you touched on this when you were talking about the types of instructions a, a traditional healer might give to a patient, which I thought was just, you know, a beautiful thing. It's, it's about dietary restrictions. It's about restrictions in alcohol. It's about more exercise. So it's that whole body approach to health. And, and it, we're not, we don't get that as much because um, we're kind of always in this acute phase. It's, it's the acute phase. We've got to think about how to do long-term health um, and how to really support that. Yeah, and I, th I think that they're really, and again, my my uh, population sample size is biased, but I, I think mm -hmm. there's tremendous potential in, in kind of a plant medicine realm. And I even extend this potentially someday to entheogens as we study them better, that I have dealt my entire career with lifestyle modification. You know, mm -hmm. you come see me for your annual visit, you should exercise more, <laughs> try to meditate more, you know, eat better. Everyone knows, right, what we need to do, but that lifestyle modification, the actual change in lifestyle, which is what brought me many times, the majority of times to this disease state that I'm in, we mm -hmm. need to modify. And I think plants really afford the opportunity, including cannabis uh, and, and other plant medicines where that relationship forms, you're going to develop a relationship with said plant. You're also going to go about these lifestyle modifications and some sort of guide or coach along the way is that magic sauce that that I think we could inject more into a modern medicine rather than, as you said, treating the symptoms at the other end, which we're very, yeah. very good at. But then we oftentimes chase the side effect of the medication that we prescribed. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I, I keep going back in my mind to that image that you you know, portrayed of like the people you know, jumping down the river and kind of dead weight in the water, what's causing them to, to reach that point. We've got to get back to the cause of disease. So I was wondering along this line of understanding disease causality, but also understanding kind of people's relationships with plants, what are, what are your perspectives on placebo and kind of the role that placebo plays in plant medicine? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, placebo plays a huge role in all forms of medicine, you know, whether we admit that or not. And I've been long trained to treat placebo almost as an enemy, almost mm -hmm. as, as, as tricking a patient and, and something to be avoided, something to study against. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I've, you know, since then kind of stumbled across uh, through the likes of Dr. Wayne Jonas, um, you know, additional research where we, let's yeah. not call this a placebo, um, even certainly different names, like a meaning response. And uh, obviously, Dr. Weil has, has played a big role in influencing me that these, this is the innate ability of the body to heal. This is not a, a negative reaction or something where you're tricking someone, that this is almost an added bonus to any therapeutic kind of regime that we offer. And mm -hmm. for me, it, it, as a clinician, one is we have to be very careful, right, not to offer false hopes, not to, you know, to really pull the wool over someone's eyes. And I oftentimes will say that this is, does not have the best evidence. Potentially, it's been utilized in this culture uh, for this means and really set it up with the truth. But as your physician, I think it, the benefits outweigh the risks and we should explore mm -hmm. that. And I think that placebo just is something that we don't harness enough and have treated as an enemy and, and really is the majority of the work that we do, right? And again, depending on the physician, you've got an incredibly subspecialized removing, you know, a tumor somewhere, maybe, maybe not as much, but specifically in primary care, a huge, uh, you know, impact of placebo on, on, on the daily work that I do. And we need to find ways to kind of address that in a positive way and make that part of, of the healing mechanism. And an interesting kind of example that kind of threw me down the path of exploring it more is I wrote a review on glucosamine and chondroitin. And, and, you know, there was a large-scale uh, multi-center, you know, uh, trial on glucosamine because there was a lot of debate. Does it work for arthritis? Or not? And, you know, mm -hmm. the, the conclusion of that trial is it is no better than placebo. So, so this, all the headlines were that it didn't work. And, you know, what we failed to mention is that in osteoarthritis, we see placebo rates regularly of 75%. Wow. 75%. Show me a medication, right, that, that regularly is going to have a 75%, you know, kind of response to it. And, and I hope to see in the future that we engage that meaning response more and, and not in a way of tricking, but as this is something your body can do in addition to the therapy that I'm offering you. Um, and, yeah. and I think it's, we've really missed out on, on kind of demonizing or creating an enemy of that rather than embracing it. That's a that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way before. I mean, it it kind of makes me think also of kind of the more psychological or social factors that influence health. I mean, when you when you observe a traditional healer as, as we we both have, you know, it's not as simple as just saying, "Oh, here's a plant, take a tea of this." There is often prayer, sometimes touching, singing, whistling, massage. There's a kind of a physical presence, but there's also in many cases a very, I guess, yeah, the only way I could call it would be probably a spiritual presence in the healing ceremony. And I wonder, like, you know, some might call that placebo. That's, you know, if a patient gets any benefit from that. But I mean, I think, again, we're missing the point. The goal in many forms of traditional medicine is not to hit disease X with this one drug target. It's about restoring homeostasis in the patient. Like, how do we make the patient return to a state of health? I was wondering if, you, you know, if, if you'd had experiences or have thought about, about that perspective as well, these other constant, elements to healing. Constant, constantly think about that. And I think that the real challenge, I mean, for many years, I, I served as 
uh, HMO, you know, physician where you're given eight, 10 minutes with a patient. We've all seen oh. that, you know, how do yeah. you, and, and again, and this overlaps with set and setting, right? I think there is set and setting for every medicine. Again, not just psychedelics or entheogens. I think there is an impact mm -hmm. of set and setting that overlaps with placebo. And I constantly think about as a physician, how do you engage that, right? And in, in a positive way and, and even to the point of physical touch, you know, mm -hmm. the physical exam is is really lost its 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 you know interest right in, in modern medicine where i can pretty much mri any part of the body or you know mm -hmm. really look at with other sophisticated means yet i never give up the opportunity to touch a patient right and if that's yeah. laying my stethoscope on their heart listening to their heartbeat even feeling their pulse and even the simplest uh visit which is very challenging in a time of covid uh yeah how do you lay on the hands i still i was back and forth that you know white coats carried a lot of germs and you know <laughs> scare some people or push their blood pressure up this is my signal of who i am i wear a white coat you know when i'm as a doctor and and again i think that's part of it like i am your doctor right and i, I want to yeah. play that role of your doctor and i'm going to lay my hands on and i'm going to dress in a way that you think of me as your doctor and and interact in a way that's going to try to engage as much a positive response i've seen i can't countless patients too that are very frustrated with the medical system doctors don't listen to me i'm pushed from one doctor to the next mm -hmm. and this is in no way a criticism of colleagues it's just really the state of the reality of modern medicine so yeah again really trying to incorporate those as much as we can in, in everything we do in a, in a health modality and, and in research right we try to keep it very clean um but i'm excited about a day where we can start to measure and include that you know and and, and give like uh, patients, as a physician, I can say this is a naturally derived product, and and this one is synthetic from the lab. They're both meant to do the same thing. I'm going to give you the choice, and and they said like a you know a naturally derived. And does that make something click that you know generates a healing response that may not? Uh, and and there may be patients that choose the other the way. Yeah, you know, I prefer a synthetic that's gone through an FDA process, and and there yeah. may be some that do that. But that comes back to personalized medicine, which I think is a big movement as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm all of this said, you know, where there there is definitely, I think, as you said, a disappointment by certain patients because of lack of time and, and kind of disconnectivity with their care providers. With all that said, though, there is optimism for the future. I know, you know from the scientific perspective, my optimism stems from the rapid advancement of our tools that allow us to look at more and more complex things in the laboratory. You know, with the um, advancements in metabolomics, advancements in analytical chemistry, and in pharmacological assays, I think we're, we're, we're pushing, we're starting the boundaries on our ability to look at progressively more complex things. And I'm wondering, you know, do you, do you, where do you see medicine progressing in this field? I mean, outside of the lab assessment, do you think that we're coming up with new ways to really address these very complex processes that are presented in patients? Yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I always see the glasses half full. I mean, what strides yeah. we've made. And even with COVID, you know, the, the quick availability of a vaccine, very powerful mm -hmm. oral therapies that can save lives. You know, this is yeah. modern medicine at its best. And it's just miraculous to me. And and and, and so excited about that. I think we need to temper that. And, and that's where I think maybe sometimes I, I, I'll take a chance to speak about it because we need to temper it, this very rapid kind of scientific advancement, which is amazing, and bring it back to the patient. That yeah. oftentimes it's not the best studied, you know, interventional or, you know, 
very pure uh, compound that someone needs in front of us, it's much more complex. And, and I think anything in, in life, right, is that allocation of resources. And we mm -hmm. allocate a ton of resources kind of to that uh, arm of medicine. And for good reason, that served us well. We need to allocate more towards integrative, functional, you know, outside the box approaches that also have good evidence that needs to be built upon. But we need to we need to fund that uh, research and the yeah. and the complex you know systems research that might be required to show well wow, long term there there's really a winning uh, combination here and I'm really excited and that's really in a nutshell integrative medicine how do we bring those worlds together and I'm I'm just seeing in my career how much growth has occurred and very excited and optimistic about the future. That's awesome. Well, and my last question as we kind of wrap up is, so with these advances and kind of future directions, where do you see plants? Where do you see medicinal plants in that story? I, I really, I think what is most exciting for me right now, uh, I see plants as, as specifically in chronic disease, a very viable option mm -hmm. for the average person to uh, to pursue. And And I get really excited about kind of N of one trials. And that's where you know, for, for ages, that's what we did. You know, I have access to these number of plants and I try and how does it make me feel over a mm -hmm. long term? And that's kind of passed down through generations. I, I envision utilizing so many tools and even our smartphone, right, that I can give mm -hmm. feedback and I'm taking uh, rhodiola for the past 30 days. And I feel really amazing with that. And it's changed my mood or potentially my mm -hmm. sleep, you know, fill in the blank of those measures that it's changing. And there'll be ways to give feedback to a, a sing single person. Yeah, this works for me. And, and that I think could be preemptive to our amazing medical system that, hey, these circumstances or these, you know, these lifestyle habits got me to a point where I need something a little bit stronger. But I really see plants on that front end more accepted in mainstream, but also with a, a stronger evidence base. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have so to bring them to. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think you're, I think that's a really great point. I mean, with the, with these advances we now have in technology and all these apps, and it seems like everyone has a smartphone at the tip of their fingertips, you know, it's totally possible to record that kind of detailed data on what foods we're consuming, on our levels of physical activity, on you know what supplements we're taking or what herbal teas. I mean, there there is definitely a way to capture that. And I'd love to see more studies that do that because I think you're right. We've got to keep building up that evidence. And it's a long-term kind of process. It's it's about generating health for your long term of your life, not just for next week. <laughs> and maybe, right. maybe a quick add on to that, Cassie, because I do believe this is very important is, you know, I think as integrative medicine grows with medical professionals, oftentimes, you know, we, we, we say maybe too often, but if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And, and, yeah. and prior to learning about integrative therapies or expanding my horizons, really med school taught me about those pharmaceutical, surgical, you know, interventions and did mm -hmm. not, you know, nutrition was, as I discussed, not a topic, right? And so as yeah. we can inform more and more physicians on the front line, there are alternatives to the quick prescription, which is, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was for me a knee-jerk reaction many times too in a, in a very mm -hmm. short visit. And, uh, and many times it's the patients coming to demand that, but that there <laughs> yeah. are tools outside of that box that we can go to that can be helpful, that are evidence-based. And, and I'm excited about that to start to move into the everyday practice of, of physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, healthcare professionals, uh, all, all over the spectrum. That's amazing. 
Well, um, where can we send uh, folks, our listeners, to learn more about your work? Do you have um, some social media um, links you could share with us or a website? I, I do. We'll, I'm sure we'll post them. Uh, Instagram. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very Googleable. Uh, you know, Stephen Dahmer <laughs> with a PH. And, uh, and and you can find me on uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, not super active on, on Twitter. Slowing down on Instagram a little bit. On LinkedIn. Uh, the company I work for is Vireo Health, www.vireohealth.com. You can learn about some of the clinical trials that we're participating, chronic pain, uh, opioid reduction potentially, mm -hmm. and uh, medical cannabis. And uh, just open book. I love interacting with, with others and, and discussing these topics. Thank you so much for this time and opportunity. Oh, thank you. This has been, I mean, I knew it, we would have a fantastic conversation. We're just two peas in a pod when it comes to plants and medicine. So thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. You can find this and all of our other episodes at foodiepharmacology.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast streaming services. If you'd like to catch the video version of this episode, just head over to my Teach Ethnobotany YouTube channel, where we also have images and all of those links that we discussed on the show posted. I want to thank our producers of the show, Christine Roth and Rob Cohen for keeping the show rolling. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in each week. Stay healthy out there and I'll see you next time.